Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today we continue our series, What's the Point? This series is based on the question that Solomon asked at the beginning of his book, and his book provides the answer. Today's message, economics. We'll examine the point of money and the dangers in its pursuits. Here's family pastor, J.C. Thompson. Thanks for asking. Uh, I am so glad that y'all are here. We are continuing our series called What's the Point, uh, which is a sprint through the book of Ecclesiastes. Today's going to feel like a sprint, which for some of you, you're going to love. For others of you, you're going to be like, please, please don't do that. Um, so you're going you're to have six, six things to write down today, which is a lot. I know. Uh, but we're, we're going to get through it. Today, uh, I titled today's message, Economics. Um, which means we're going to talk about money. So if you're one of those people who thinks this is all the church talks about, well, we did talk about death a couple weeks ago, and we've talked about pursuing pleasure and education and wisdom and how all that stuff is completely meaningless. And so, you know, we're just trying to talk about everything here. Uh, And so the Bible sometimes kind of gets a bad rap. This, This is what we do when we take complex things. We try and simplify them. And so we say, well, what does the Bible say about money? Well, we just need to give all our stuff away and be extremely generous. Well, that is, that is one of the things that the Bible talks about, our, the importance of generosity, but it talks about a lot more than that. And so Solomon, uh, who we know from our study, was called the wisest man to have ever lived. You also need to know he was probably the wealthiest man to live at this particular point in time. And so he's given both his wisdom about life teamed with the fact that he has the experience of what it's like to live with a lot of money. So we'll be asking the question today, what is the point of money? And for me here, I I think it's important just to, again, this this is much like our life here. It's okay to say money is a good thing. It is a good thing. It allows us to to purchase things, to have experiences with our family. It's not bad. Money is not bad. It's just what our hearts do with a good thing. And we do with all good things, but what do we do specifically with money? So we'll be asking, what's the point? Uh, And we're going to look for Solomon to help explain that to us. So if you got your outline, you can go ahead and pull that out. You know, for me, when I start doing study, I, I look at what the Scriptures say and I study them, but then I also look at what's the world teaching us about these concepts. And so, I don't know if you like music like me. I like music. Uh, there's some songs, they help us try to understand what the point of money is here on this earth. You've probably heard some of them before. Um, there's a song, you know, this is one that my dad would have played a long time ago where um, you get the money and then you take it and you run with it. Uh, get your money and run. You, I don't know if you've heard that one. Uh, there's also one called Mo, Mon- Mo Money, Mo Problems, uh, which is a classic. There's also uh, one that uh, I would have heard a lot as a child on the radio, and that was uh, Madonna's classic telling you it's okay to want absolutely everything, Material Girl. I'm sure you've sung that one before. But my personal favorite uh, is a song by an artist called Pink Floyd called Money, which has one of the greatest intros of any song, which is just a cash register opening and closing again and again. But I think that their statement in the beginning of this song is probably how most of us got discipled by our parents when it comes to money. And the the statement is just this, get a good job with good pay and you're okay. Get a good job with good pay and you're okay. And most of the parents in here who've got young adults or adults past young adult stage are thinking, yeah, that is pretty much what I told my kids. Please get a good, stable job that can provide for you and your family. That's what we were taught about money, and that's not bad, but there's so much more uh, that we've got to learn. All of us in this room have been taught by our parents, the world, the church about finances. But what's the point of all of it? Does it matter if you have money or not? Now, while money does allow us to purchase, experience, and to pursue things, um, it's not only good. It is good to do those things, but it's not only good. You know, our, our hearts, as one author says, are idle factories, and we have a strong tendency to make a good thing a God. 
We are idol worshipers, and generally the idol that we worship the most is us. Pursuing the love of money or the greed or the desire to acquire more money can create in us loves and desires that far outstretch what we were meant to manage as human beings. So, let's see what Solomon has to say about money. First, Solomon shares with us that money cannot provide certain things. Money cannot provide certain things. Your first feeling is this, holiness. Money cannot provide holiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to be bouncing around today uh, trying to organize these thoughts. So, uh, my hope is that y'all can think clearly about what Solomon is saying. So, here's what he says. Verse 1, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. Again, distinguishing God as creator, we are creature. We are not the same. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, do not delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and He might wipe out everything you have achieved. And I love verse 7. Talk is cheap. Like daydreams and other useless activities, fear God instead. Now, if you prepared for today and you read the several chapters that we're going to be traveling through today, this passage in particular, these verses seem really weird place, like they're placed really weird because we're talking about injustice and politics and power and influence. And then there's these few verses about worship And then we start to talk about money. And I think it's important to see that Solomon connects all these together, power, influence, and authority, and our desire to get those things and use those things for our benefit, and then also money. And so he tucks in here this passage to help us see that there is one thing that money, power, influence cannot buy, and that is a right relationship with God. Now, often, money is seen as a way to solve problems. In fact, recently, you may have heard of a a big case of this. Someone reached out to Elon Musk, the CEO and founder of Tesla, to ask if he could just sell some of his stocks, a small percentage of his stocks, he'd be able to solve world hunger. So Elon Musk responded to this person and just said, hey, if you can show me a peer-reviewed study how um, $6 billion will end world hunger, I'll do it. No questions asked. And so... An organization charged with solving world hunger reached out and said, here's the way that we can do it. Here was the problem, though. Their annual budget was $6 billion. If that doesn't seem odd to you, it should. Why would they be asking this man for $6 billion to solve world hunger if the $6 billion is going to solve it, and that's what their donations were? See, there are some things in this world that money cannot fix. And apart from the world's problems here under the sun, money cannot make us right with God. Solomon is bringing up some of the difficulties in life and helping people see that money cannot buy certain things. It's crucial for us to understand this. And he's using our words and money together to help us see things. Sometimes we treat our words and money the exact same to increase our standing with another person. Solomon describes the attitude that we should have when we come into the house of God. We shouldn't be hasty. We should use few words. When we do that, these words should express our understanding of God being distinct from us, that he is our creator and we are his creatures. He is the giver and we are the receiver from him. Now, we all have many examples in our life of people who use their words in this way. Probably the most clear example is our children. I don't know if your children have ever asked you for anything in this world before. Anybody's kids ask them for stuff? 
Let me just tell you something. I never sat my kid down for a symposium on how to ask for things. I never trained them in this way. Hey, if you're going to ask mom and dad for something, can I go over the way in which to do it? I never did that. And yet, my child's voice changes, his words change, suddenly his vocabulary is through the roof. Now, your children may not be like this, but my kids, when they really want something, they'll come and they'll say, dearest father. You have such a large domain over the earth, and I just want to ask for a small, minute thing. I would like to ask for your real-world money to purchase pretend money in my video game environment to buy (laughs) pretend things that will pass away. But I know you are a benevolent father, and so I'm asking you, please, if you could be so gracious. 1999 is what I need. Now, I know it is funny, and yes, our children do that, but that's sometimes also how we approach faith. It's how we approach God. Some of y'all have never said the word Lord in any other context in all of your life. Some of you have never said Father that much even to your own earthly father. And you use words that you would never use in talking to a human being. And there's a wise portion of that in understanding God's distinct nature from us, but sometimes we use these words in hoping that if we say the right thing or approach God in the right way, it will unlock the secret door to heaven's blessings. It's also how we come into church. Listen, we all know we got problems every single week. Kids gnawing at us, our jobs gnawing at us, the world telling us everything is awful and horrible and everything is a disaster. And then we come in here with like the biggest smile on our face. We approach church not with a realistic, humble attitude that I need to hear God or my life is going to be destroyed, which is where our faith truly should be. Instead, we come into church going, everything's okay. I'm just here to celebrate the goodness of the Lord in hopes that somehow it's going to build some connection for us. But Solomon just lets us know your, your talk is cheap. In fact, here's maybe an example. Has anybody bought a new Bible or a new journal in the new year? Hoping that the reading plan or this curriculum is somehow going to get you to do the thing that you've been struggling to do for a long time, which is spend time with God? Many of you made commitments when it came to our ministry plan. Every week we get up here and talk about transformation of heart and steps that you need to take. How many of those things have you committed to the Lord to do and then not? What does make us right with God? Christ and Christ alone. You cannot earn, persuade, manipulate, deceive, or seduce God. But God sent his son to earth for you. If you think you can be made right with a holy God in any other way than which that holy God determines, you're wrong. Hebrews 12, 14 says it this way, work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Our words about our faith are not the same as the holiness that we experience in our lives. And that holiness comes from the gift of Christ. How is your spending, or even your lack of spending, justified by God? When's the last time that purchase that you want to make for your home or your family or you yourself, you really ran by God to make the decision? Do you think how much money you have or how much you give alters your standing before God? Money also cannot provide happiness for us. Verse 10 in chapter 5. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. 
Solomon does this thing, and you know, I think it's one of the reasons why we kind of like Ecclesiastes, but we kind of don't. These are things that people just don't talk about. They don't like to talk about death. You're not going to get in your small group and everybody's going to say, hey, bring your budget to small group. We're going to lay it out and see if everybody's spending their money the right way. Although I think that'd be a good use of small group time. We don't do that. But Solomon is just reaching into your soul and saying, hey, you really do think happiness may come from these things. And so here he goes again. He's reaching further, further down. And he's saying, do you believe that money will actually bring you happiness? Let me tell you, as a guy who is extremely wise and has all the wealth in the world, Solomon shares, it won't. He also shares that as soon as you begin to acquire wealth, you start to have a lot of new friends. You also run into old family members. Your neighbors want to introduce themselves, and the government has more questions. The more money you have, the more problems it creates. Mo money, mo problems. That's a spiritual truth. Often it's not the money itself that we think will bring us happiness, but it is what it can purchase for us. New home, new car, new solution to a problem that you have had for a long time. Now, I posted something on Facebook this week as a part of sermon prep. I asked people, what is the purchase that you most regret? What do you think they said? Say it loud. Come on. Perry's not here. I'm not going to tell him if you answered wrong, okay? What do you think they said? A car. Car was the number one most common thing, which I thought was funny because kind of we all, we don't need cars, but they are important to the existence that we have in this culture. But that it's not the cars really that we get frustrated with. It's that we want our car to talk to us when we're in a long commute and tell us, that we're okay. We want it to regulate, sense the temperature outside and inside and then regulate us. That's what we want these cars to do when really they just need four wheels and to get us to a place. We get all these features that were meant for luxury. I mean, they're all luxury features. And so that was what a lot of people expressed. Anybody want to take a stab at something else? Not a lot of people said house. A couple, but not many. Clothes. No, actually, no one said close. Well, I, no, that's not true. A couple people did say the things that they buy and then never wear. Student loans. Now, let me just tell you something about student loans real quick, okay? I'm a young adult. I'm thankful that um, I did not have student loans. I'm very thankful for that. But can I just tell you something? I do think most people regret how much money they spend on their education, because I think what most people find, not all people find, there are obviously some skills that you need the education for, but a lot of things you could have learned in another way or at least in a much cheaper way. And yet we're going into debt. It's one of the things that we challenge our young people with. We tend to value a degree maybe more highly than what it really is worth. Solomon ends this section by suggesting that maybe the only good thing that money really gives us is the opportunity to see it slip through our fingers. That's not sarcasm. In fact, the ESV translates this, I think, in a better way to kind of help us see what he means. It says it in this way, what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? I'll give you an example of this. Many of you bought Christmas presents for family members or your children. It's good to sit and watch them enjoy their Christmas presents. That's not sarcasm. That's a good thing. It's also frustrating to have spent money on a Christmas present that they don't use. But it is good to see money well spent. It's okay to be satisfied in that. The one thing that someone who has acquired much wealth can do is he can look at what all his wealth has accomplished to behold how it has been spent. But again, I, th I think we cannot forget Solomon, the man who's telling us all this, is incredibly wise and incredibly wealthy. And he's saying it's not all it's cracked up to be. Wealth brought more problems than it brought solutions. Now, I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to be honest. What's the next purchase that you and your family have been talking about? I know churches talk about money all the time and y'all never talk about it. But have you been talking about a purchase you're going to make? If you have, if you have, I want you to write it down on your outline, what that purchase is, and then I'm going to ask you a question about it. Here's the question. 
What are you hoping that purchase will provide to you? What are you hoping that purchase will provide to you? Now dig deeper, you know, if you're saying, well, I really need a new smoker for my smoked meats. It will provide more delicious flavor. That is what it will provide to me. Well, let's dig a little deeper and go, I'm not happy with the way that I cook or I think I can provide something better and I need it to be better so that people look at me different. Like what, dig deeper. That's what I'm asking you to do. And then here's the question. Is the thing that you want to purchase really gonna fill that void? Is the thing that you wanna purchase really gonna fix that problem? And you need to think about that. You need to process that with God. And God may give you the okay. Yes, spend your money that way. Or he may say, no, I don't think you need that. Money also cannot provide health. It cannot provide health. Verse 12 in chapter five. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We cannot take our riches with us. And this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Now we see again, we've heard this already in the book of Ecclesiastes, but we see again the benefit of hard work. It's good for us. It helps us sleep better. Here's one of the challenges though in our culture today. Physical labor is not the majority of labor anymore. We live in an information society we don't necessarily get paid to use our bodies to work. We get paid to use our brains to work. And there's some good parts about that, but there's also some weird parts about that. Because now we spend money on things like gym memberships and Peloton bikes and workout programs and exercise regimens and nutrition plans for our diet. When ultimately, generations ago, you would never dream of spending money on that because you would have been working outside or inside your home physically. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says it this way, it is one of our human absurdities to pour out money and effort to just undo the damage of money and ease. By money making our lives easier, we then use money to fix those problems. And that's true. It's so true. Whether it's Peloton, Whole30, your gym membership, because of our wealth, it has allowed us to purchase things like too much food, avoid back-breaking physical labor, or just afford to work less often. But Solomon goes on to mention that not only does wealth bring problems to us, but we experience more problems to our own detriment by hoarding it or by losing it all in a risky investment or becoming so concerned about money and how much we have or don't have that our daily lives become completely altered. We become known for our gloomy, discouraging, angry disposition. Money cannot buy you more days on the earth. In fact, it can't even guarantee you that the minor health issue that you have can be fixed. Your life will become dull and it will stop producing fruit if you become consumed by acquiring wealth. And speaking about the four soils, Jesus described 
one of those soils as the thorny soil, the one concerned with the things of this world. And here's what he said in Mark 4, 19. He said this, but all too quickly the message, which is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God coming to earth, is crowded out by the worries of this life. The lure of wealth and the desire for other things so that fruit is not produced. Our hearts become entangled by this world. And we can't enjoy what God has given to us because we're so concerned about losing it. Those desires for more may be the very thing that is keeping you from experiencing spiritual growth in your life. You should be significantly concerned if you are worried, anxious, fearful about your status on this world changing. If material desires begin to gnaw at your heart, they could be the things that you need to cut off the most. Is your heart overflowing with life and joy, or are you struggling personally because of your financial concerns? But thankfully, Solomon doesn't just tell us all the things money can't do. He also shares with us how we can find satisfaction in this life. Chapter 4, verse 7, we can find satisfaction through community, through community. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure in this life now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken." Solomon here shares the benefit of not just working for yourself, but the benefit of working for someone else. This is an essential element of discipleship. Now, I have to share with you, this is sometimes a hard thing, because you can't get up here and teach the whole Bible all the time. So when we give examples, sometimes it's limited. But I would tell you one thing to just think about, okay? Now, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. That's what I love to do. It's the gift that God has given to me. So when I share spiritual practices up here on the stage, generally the spiritual practices that I share are the ones that I have experienced life from. But I'm an introvert. I would love to be in a room by myself with a book. It brings me life. It energizes me. In fact, it's one of the core elements of studying God's Word to preach is you read until you get full. But those aren't the only spiritual practices in fact, I can't practice any of the one another's in Scripture, love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, build one another up. I can't do any of that by myself. And so it's a disservice sometimes when preachers who generally are introverts don't share with you that there are other spiritual practices than just individual Bible study and prayer. And those are crucial. I'm not trying to eliminate those. Those are biblical. Those are things we should be participating in. Praying so that no one knows you're praying except for God who sees you is a biblical discipline. But there are many other biblical disciplines, and community is one of those things. We must be in community. Coming to this room or watching this stream online is not community. Community is sharing the gift that God has given to you with the church. So if you don't share your gift, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting me. You're hurting us. Because God distributes the gifts. And so if you come to know Jesus Christ here at our church and you commit to being a part of this church, the gift that God gave to you is for us. 
It's not just for you. And so one of the best things you can do is get involved and be a part of the body of Christ and participate and share your gift. You have to. You will die on the vine without it. God, when he dreamed up how to bring the kingdom of God to the earth, he dreamed of the church, the body of Christ. And so when you don't utilize your gift, when you don't share your gift with us, it would be like our body missing a functioning part, walking around with one eye or a broken finger or feet that aren't fast and swift and can run for a long time. We need your gift God desired to give you a gift to share. And when you don't share it, it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts us. So are you sharing your gift? Solomon shares that you can find true satisfaction by sharing your gifts with the community. And yeah, I'm talking about a spiritual gift, but I'm also talking about your resources, your time, your testimony. We need those things. We need to be reminded that God works in many different situations is good for us. You can see here the safety and security and the benefits to life of a community that's working alongside one another. You can also find satisfaction through contentment. Through contentment. Back to chapter 5, verse 18. Even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given to them, which we've heard already. Enjoy your life, right? We've heard that before. But then he says this, and to accept their lot in life. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health and to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life They take no time to brood on the past. That's powerful right there. So busy enjoying life, they don't even have time to think about their past. But here's the deal. How many of you have accepted your lot in life? Or are you trying to relive the past? Or are you trying to craft a different future? This is what we do. We think about the next thing. You know, we do it when we're single and we're looking for somebody to marry. And then we get married and we're thinking about buying a home. And then we get a home and we have to fill it with children. And then we want our children to talk and to walk. And then we want them to have responsibilities and obey their parents. And then we want them to be able to drive. And then we want them to be able to go and make a life for themselves, to bring us honor. And none of those are bad but you can miss out on the joy of today if you continue to focus on either tomorrow or yesterday. Solomon shares with us that enjoying the wealth that God gives to us and accepting your lot in life is crucial to your happiness and satisfaction. Merriam-Webster defines contentment as this, feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. I prefer Merriam-Webster because there's a lot of these words that he helps us understand we made because of our relationship with God, and this is one of those. It's not just feeling satisfied with our life. It's showing that we're satisfied with our life. And one of the main entities, beings, that we must show satisfaction to is God. When it comes to your worship, when it comes to your involvement in the community that he created, when it comes to how you're dedicated and devoted to him, would God, not your words and not your emotions, would God look at your life and go, they are so happy with the blessings I've given to them. Remember, Solomon already said, talk is cheap. Oh, I'm so blessed, pastor. I just feel so blessed to be here. but you're not participating in community. Your material blessings are just for you and no one else. I don't know that that's truly 
joy and satisfaction. It does our body good to accept our lot in life, to receive, enjoy, and share what God has given to us. And Solomon wants us to see that we should not just seek to enjoy it for ourselves, but we must seek to share it. Chapter 6, verse 3 says this, A man might have a hundred children and live to be very old, but if he finds no satisfaction in life and doesn't even get a decent burial, it would have been better for him to be born dead. His birth would have been meaningless and he would have ended in darkness. He wouldn't even have had a name. And he would have never seen the sun or known of its existence, yet he would have had more peace than in growing up to be an unhappy man. He might live a thousand years twice over, but still not find contentment. And since he must die like everyone else, well, what's the use? My former youth pastor, who's a pastor now in Ackworth, Georgia, he had this sermon that he taught a long time ago of Jesus calling his disciples. You know this passage of Scripture where he shows up and they're fishing all day, right? And they've caught nada, nothing, zilch. They are fishing, they're not catching. There's a difference, okay? Jesus, who's not a trained fisherman, looks at them and says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Peter reluctantly, maybe even frustratingly, obeys. And my former youth pastor said it in this way. He had a if-you-say-so moment. I know what I'm doing as a fisherman, but if you say so, reluctant. If you say so, but even reluctantly, he obeyed. And when they tossed their nets on the other side, they caught so many fish. What a wonderful story, right? But here's the part people don't talk about. What happened when they caught all this fish? The nets started to bust and the boat started to sink. They were probably thinking to themselves, I wish we never caught anything at all. We're about to sink out here. We may not make it back to our families. And he describes the world's problems in these ways. You either have empty net problems or you have full net problems. Most of our problems, not all of them, but most of our problems here in this community are full net problems. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Not everyone in our church experiences these things in the same way. Here's a full net problem. Man, my job is horrible. I can't stand it. It provides no satisfaction and joy. My boss is the worst. There's so much conflict and drama and politics. This is awful. My job is horrible. Full net problem. Empty net problem. We have people in our church who've been filling out application after application after application to find the job that will provide for their family. And some of us just complain about how bad our job is. Here's another one. Here's a full net problem. My kids are the worst. They're crazy. They break everything I buy. They're so disrespectful and dishonoring. Full net problem. Empty net problem. Some people in our church would give anything to have a child of their own. They would love to have a child that yells at them. They would love to have a child who breaks their stuff. Full net problem. I went, to, I went on a vacation spot. I didn't get what I paid for. The place was dirty. It was nasty. I don't like this location. This is the worst. Empty net problem. Some people haven't been on a vacation in years because they can't afford it. They don't have time for it. What if our church became so content and accepting of what God gave us that we start to look at each other's stuff and if I've got an empty net, I go, can I share some perspective with you? It's really not that bad. And if we got a full net, we can go, hey, you got an empty net. How can I help you fill your net up? That's community. But that means you got to get involved in people's lives and share your story with them and share, hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Or, hey, I got all this stuff and I'm, I'm complaining about this vacation. Do you want to go on vacation? You want to come with me? That's community. That's who we should be as the body of Christ. When you learn to enjoy your gifts and contributions, you can then give generously and help others learn to enjoy their gifts as well. But here's the key. 
you don't have to have enough in order to give. You just have to have anything. You don't have to have enough in order to give. You just have to have anything. You ever met somebody that literally when you walk next to them, you become happier because their gift is encouragement? That cost nothing. It costs nothing to enjoy your life and be happy. And yet we all benefit from a great encourager. So you don't have to have enough to be generous. You just have to have something. The church that God dreamed up was meant to be mutually beneficial while all of us serve one another. And by doing so, we are serving God himself. But lack of contentment leads to great loss in churches, families, businesses, and in individuals. Solomon says that you can have so many things in life that we would call blessings, riches, a large family, many years here on the earth, and yet still be dissatisfied. He even says it would be better to be born dead than to be unhappy with your life. Many of us have grieved the loss of children who were never born. We experience that reality, but can I tell you, we grieve that loss. A man who is unhappy and has not shared anything will die alone. No one will grieve his loss. Mark 8, 36 shares it like this. Here's what Jesus says, and this is your memory verse for this week. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Solomon is sharing with all of us, I've got the whole world. And it will not satisfy unless I choose to be satisfied with whatever God gives to me. The problem is we desire more or different. If you're constantly dreaming, searching, planning, working towards more, you will miss what is available now. Strong desires for the things of this world, they're not cute, minor issues. They could keep your soul from rest in God. It is terminal if you desire to gain the world. Taste and see the gifts of God. Enjoy what he has given to you. Praise him for the blessings that he has given to you, or you will be cast for eternity into hell. If your desire for more is killing your soul, cut it off. Get rid of it. Are you experiencing the benefits of a spiritual community? If you're not, if you're just at Brookwood and you don't know how to do that, lucky for you, today is our ministry and small group sampler alongside our membership class. You can come back today and figure out, have someone walk with you. How do I become a part of a group? How do I become a part of a team that's serving here in our church and in our community? You can also find satisfaction in Christ, in Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 10. Please listen to these words. Everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? In the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can best be spent? That's a rhetorical question. Who knows how our days can best be spent? God does. Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on this earth after we are gone? Solomon here is bringing us back to the beginning of the world when God made everything. And then he shows us that stark scene where Adam sins and humanity becomes fallen. And sin disrupts everything that God had planned. After his sin, Adam's life became like a shadow. He was not meant to die. He was meant to live forever with God. But because of sin entering into our world, God graciously decided to end human beings' life. 
because living hundreds, if not thousands of years in the presence of sin is not a good life. So we become like dust. Just as we were created that way, we become something that is temporary and passing away, apart from God's rescue. What a hopeless state. I mean, Solomon can't be serious. If so, our lives are short. It's not up to us how much we truly meant in this life to someone else. You might be asking yourself, is this all there is? What is the point of existing? That is what Solomon is trying to get you to wrestle with. All of this brokenness in this planet should cause us to ask that question. If this is all there is, is it truly worth it? But it also must cause us to look to God who made everything for a solution. If you're broken and you've started to try and figure this out, I'm purchasing new things to make 2022 my best year ever. If you started to plan and process on how budgeting for this new year will bring you more satisfaction than ever, you're just going to be disappointed looking at life differently. But Solomon is pointing out to you, this can't be all there is. Now, Solomon didn't understand or know the full picture of Christ. He knew some. He knew that God must be coming to fix this problem. His father, David, would have shared with him the many things that God had taught him about what was going to happen, that one day God would fix this mess in broken humanity. But Solomon didn't have the full picture. He didn't have the picture of a man being born to a virgin. He didn't have the picture of God in all the heavenly riches coming to live in this broken planet. He didn't have the full picture that when Jesus would say a word, it would heal people's infirmities. When he spent time with people, it would change their whole life. If you are a person who is so ingrained and enthralled with your financial standing, either to acquire more or just have enough, if greed is killing you, if worry, anxiety, and fear is killing you, can I just share with you? It doesn't have to be that way. We even have a picture of a man much like you named Zacchaeus. And when he had an encounter with Christ, he turned into a benevolent, generous, loving human being. Miser to joyful. Controlling to dancing. Frustrating to be around, to apologetic, humble, and loving. That's the satisfaction available through Christ. Generosity overflowed from Zacchaeus. It wasn't a moral teaching that Jesus gave him. Zacchaeus said, I'm giving away half of everything I own. And if I've wronged anyone, I will pay back four times the amount that I wronged them. That man was miserable and he found life in Christ and realized this life under the sun, if this is all there is, it's not enough. But if Christ is who he says he is, and he truly is ushering in God's place on this place. My stuff doesn't matter. I'm going to give it to everybody. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says it in this way. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul's a preacher. So he said, hey, you know about this grace already. But let me tell you about it. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. Jesus became poor for you so that you, by his poverty, he could make you rich. God became poor so that you could experience life in Christ. If you don't have life in Christ and you're greedy and controlling and anxious about your place in this world, 
give it up and surrender to Christ and find the greatest joy that you could ever have. If you're a follower of Christ, maybe you needed to be reminded to be benevolent and generous with what God has given to you. Not just your money, your spiritual gift, your story. Let's pray. God, we need you more and more and more and more every day. Remind us that you became poor on our behalf. Guide us and help us. Show us people, communities, places that we can share our gift. God, if there's someone in here clinging to their status in this life, convict them of their sin. Draw them to you. And God, we pray we will party like never before hearing that someone who is miserable with their spot and how much they've been blessed with becoming benevolent and generous. And I pray that you do that in someone's life today. It's in the name of Christ we pray these things and all God's people said, amen. See y'all next week. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Next week, we'll continue the series, What's the Point? To prepare, read Ecclesiastes chapter 9 through chapter 12, verse 14. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with the What's the Point series. If you like this podcast, please leave a review so that others can discover how they can experience a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. 